Richard and Kiva both were up in the offices yesterday after the confirmation retreat with our upcoming youth coming out of sixth grade, and uh, both of them were suffering from dizziness. She didn't mention that part, uh, and Richard ended up passing out, and so Kiva called the uh, EMS, and they arrived and took him to Plano Presby, uh, right around the corner over here, and uh, he's still there today, and just finished talking with Theresa via text. He's, uh, he's agreed to uh, receive visitors, um, which, if you, just to give you insight on some of us ministerial types, I think one of the biggest temptations for us as ministers is, is that we fall into this trap that we think that we have to bear the image of Christ so well that we don't allow people to carry us at times. And so uh, it, it's a huge thing for Richard to receive visitors um, but feel free to go by. Just call before you go. He, he might be released today. We don't know. Uh, they did all kinds of blood tests, heart tests, checked all of everything. Uh, he did have three arteries that were uh, slightly clogged, but not enough that they needed any kind of treatment. So the truth is we know a lot of things that it is not. We don't know what is causing it. And so he needs our prayers, as does Kiva. Kiva got sick and had to leave the hospital sick as well. Um, and so what we're going to do, what we do upstairs with the youth, uh, we, we kind of take prayer a little, uh, well, very seriously. Um, and so what we're going to do as a church is we're going to pause and we're going to pray for our pastors um, because they need your prayers. These are God's people that he has placed in your life and in my life to shepherd us. And so just as Moses, when the Israelites were fighting the battle, as long as Moses held his staff high, the battle was being victorious for the Israelites. But as he got tired and his staff was lowered, the battle uh, began to turn to the other side. We need to be supporting our pastors. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask those seated around Kiva to lay hands on Kiva. And I'm going to ask you to pray. It doesn't matter if we're praying all at the same time. God has perfect ears. But I'm going to ask you to ask God for your pastor's healing. Um, So just go ahead and start, and then I'll close this. You can be louder than that. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be here. We thank you for the wonderful people that you have brought into our lives to bring your word and guidance into us, uh, into our lives as a, as a body of believers, a church. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would descend upon Richard and Kiva, Richard where he lies in, in the hospital in Plano, and Kiva here. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon them and that you would bring your healing that only you can bring. I pray that you would surround them with hedge 
of protection that the enemy and, 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 and the things that Satan longs to destroy in their lives, as, as your word says, that you would bring abundant life. That what the enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy from their lives, that you would come and that you would bring abundant life. Life to the fullest. Blessing and health, Lord. And so we pray that you would remove uh, any, anything that is upon them physically or spiritually that would, enable, or that, would, that would keep them from doing the work you've called them to do. And so, Lord, I pray that, that you would move us to be a body that is lifting up uh, those who you've placed in our lives to guide us. In Jesus' holy and precious name I pray. Amen. You may have a seat. Richard wishes he could be here. Uh, those of you who know him real well, uh, he, there, there are very few... Richard is very particular, and, he, and you know what he likes, and you definitely know what he dislikes. And uh, Richard does not like, uh, as much as Richard loves to, to share the Word of God, uh, passionately loves that, he passionately dislikes not being able to. And uh, so as he was lying in his hospital bed yesterday in the ER, and I was in there with him, and they were thinking he might be having a heart attack or whatever, um, his concern was that he wanted to preach today. And so as, as the doctor broke the news to him that he wasn't going to be here today, he obviously argued back with her. Um, and then as Theresa and I broke the news to him today that he was not going to preach today, even if he was released, um, his words were, but I've already written my sermon. <laughs> um, Richard wishes he could be here. And, and one of the reasons he wishes he could be here is because we're in the middle of a series that, that he believes and... and, and I agree, uh, is incredibly vital for our lives. Richard's going through a sermon series titled Chains Be Broken, and today we're going to be talking about self-destructive patterns. And the reality of it is, is that in a room with about four to 500 people in this room, we have about six to 700 self-destructive patterns represented here today. <laughs> and we could spend all morning listing them out, but we're not going to do that. So if you brought your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. This is the series that Richard has been walking through the book of Colossians. And uh, if you haven't brought your Bibles, it should be on the screen. I'm reading out of the NIV version. I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have, been taken, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, I have no idea how to say that. Slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul's talking to the church in Colossae. And and one of the things you have to understand is you read through the verbiage, he's talking about taking off the old and putting on the new. And and, and he's literally, uh, if you look there... uh, when he, in, in, in that passage where he says, clothe yourselves with these things, literally the Greek word there for clothe means clothe. It means to put on clothes. And, and one of the things you have to understand about the context of who he's talking to is that Colossae was one of the epicenters for fashion in the day. Right around Colossae, the pastures, the, the hills and the pastures were green and lush. It was... It was uh, it was an epicenter of wool trade, and so the, the garments that were made there uh, kind of set the standard for the day, and Colossae was also in the middle of a trade, the trade route from east to west, and so people, as they'd come through Colossae, uh, obviously there was a lot of goods there, and one of the things that was particularly fashionable of the day was the clothing in Colossae. And so when he's talking to the audience, you have to understand that he's talking to an audience uh, in a way that they, they could comprehend and they could understand, and I think you and I could as well this morning, probably even to a greater depth than they did back then, because back then, it, clothes weren't incredibly different. I mean, people pretty much wore, uh, it, it's kind of like a tunic, it's, it's like a, a bed, well, really more like a pillowcase with a head cut out and the arms cut out. It was a long shirt that kind of went down to about here, and it was just a straight piece of material, and then they wore a toga on top of that. Now, when we have toga parties today in college, for those of you who've heard of those things, they just kind of wear the toga. If you just wore a toga back then, you'd be looked at as a weirdo. Because you have to have your tunic on under your toga. But a toga was just kind of an ornamentation, a, a material that draped over the left shoulder and came down and, and about. And then there was one final thing with, with their clothing back then in Colossae. They all had a ring that had their seal on it. It was a signature ring, meaning just like we would call the signature today. It was how they identified themselves. And so when they made trades and stuff, they would put their seal on, on the paperwork, whatever they were doing. And that was pretty much the attire of the day. So it, it wasn't like people wore vastly different arrays, styles of clothing like you and I do today. Pretty much everybody wore the same thing. Uh, but the tunic and the toga, particularly the toga, uh, kind of set you apart. And back then in the day, uh, you, you didn't wear clothes to represent how you felt or what you thought was fashionable at the time. You wore clothes to, to basically, they, they basically identified you in your status in society. So when Paul is talking to them, telling them to take off their old self and to put on a new self, he, he's talking to an, audience, to an audience that understands that, that unlike us this morning, you know, many of you came in and what you might thought might be very fashionable of the day might look good with your color coordination or whatever. Uh, some of us put on what was clean or what had been ironed, and, and some of us didn't even go that far. We just put on what was closest to us. Back in the day, they weren't so into clothing. 
and close basically the toga, all it marked really was their status. You would know immediately just by walking into a room who was a slave, who was a landowner, who was a slave owner, who was a person of business. And so when Paul comes to this audience and he says, listen, take off your old self and put on the newness in Christ. God has made you a new creation. He's telling them, listen, your identity, once, once you've asked Christ to be the Lord of your life, you've become a new creation. Your identity has changed. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave owner. You are no longer a person of status or low stature. You are now a child of God. And so when we talk this morning and, and, and when we start talking about ha- obtaining freedom from our self-destructive patterns, we need to understand, as Paul was talking to them and he starts naming off things, we need to understand that when, when we come into this room and, and there's things in our life that seem to be controlling us more than us controlling them, God is saying, listen, you need to, you, you've been saved. You are no longer a slave to your past. God has made you a new creation, so take off the old and put on the new. And, of course, the question for us this morning is, okay, so how do we do that? Right? How do we get rid of the self-destructive patterns in our life? I mean, I don't, I don't know what kind of people are in the room. I don't know what kind of patterns are going on. I don't know what addictions you're dealing with. You know, men, how many of you are struggling with inter- internet pornography? And heaven forbid anybody find out. You know, women, how many of you are struggling with self-esteem issues, eating disorders? There's drug addictions in the room. You know, we as, we as, especially as Christians and Methodists, we like to say the Bible says, never says don't drink. And, and, it, and indeed it doesn't. And so drinking alcohol isn't wrong. But drinking too much of it and becoming inebriated is unbiblical. And so for some of you in the room, we allow things like biblical foundations like don't drink, the Bible never says don't drink. We allow that to justify our self-destructive pattern. See, the problem isn't the alcohol. The problem is the person that can't stop consuming the alcohol. It's the pattern in our life, right? And so some of us in the room, some of us could drink a drink and be just fine, but some of us have self-destructive patterns, and so we say, well, the Bible says don't drink, so we take the one drink, and, and inevitably, the one drink isn't the problem. The problem is that we don't stop there. And all of those things I mentioned and all the things that Paul mentions here as self-destructive patterns, they don't just stop there. They infiltrate into our every area of our lives, right? Paul says it like this. God, why do I do the very things I don't want to do? Can you relate this morning? If we're really being honest with ourselves. I mean, to to me, even even just a second ago as we were praying for our pastors, some of it's cultural. I get it in the United States. We're, We're not very boisterous in our prayers, you know. But, but I think some of it, too, is that we walk in this room and, and we, we are so tied up in bondage in ourselves that we are afraid that the person next to us hear us praying and asking God to heal our pastors. It's, it's one of the things I've really been pressing hard on the youth because they're the next generation of the church. And I wanted to cry out. For Richard and for Kiva. They're going through some heavy stuff. What, what is it that keeps us as a church from calling out to this God who has the ability to heal? Well, we did call out. I, I, I hear what you're saying. We did call out. But, but there's something in, in, in us, especially culturally, 
that keeps us tied into bondage in these self-destructive behaviors, just like the church in Colossae. And Paul's saying, listen, when, when God saved you, he gave you the right and the ability to take off the old and put on the new. So how do we do that? I'm going to give us, uh, we're going to walk through four things this morning real quickly to do that. What are the things that help us persist in self-destructive behaviors? The first is self-perception. Okay. By that I mean we often look at ourselves in terms of our faults. Or as, as a psychologist, C.M. Bellick notes, focusing on the future rather than why you failed in the past prepares you to, to perform at your best. When focused on failing, oftentimes we try to control every aspect of what we are doing. Folks, that, that's legalism. Legalism and ritualism tries to control us by focusing on our failures. How many of you in this morning, don't raise your hands, are struggling with a self, self-destructive pattern? You, you, you struggle with anger, you struggle with anxiety, depression, whatever. How many of you in here struggle with a self-destructive pattern? And, and in order to try to overcome this, because after all, we're Christians in the room and we want to please God, your focus is trying to overcome the problem itself. Well, according to the psychologist, in essence, what we're doing when we do that, and according to Paul in Colossians, essentially what we're doing when we focus on the problem rather than focusing on the solution is that we perpetuate the problem. See, Christ came to set us free. And, 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 and somewhere along the church, we understand God's grace for salvation, and we buy it, but in, as far as sanctification, the process of us becoming like Christ and pleasing the Lord, we, we leave grace at the door and we punish ourselves time and time again, right? I, yes, God freely saved me by grace, but man, this, this addiction that I struggle with, God, I, I need to overcome this for you because I know it doesn't please you. And so we focus again and again and again and again on our addiction and trying to overcome and trying to overcome and trying to overcome. But what we don't realize and what Paul is saying is, listen, you trying to deal with your past is, is ridiculous because you've been set free from that past. So while you're focused on trying to overcome your problems, you are keeping the problem the main thing in your mind rather than the solution. God never intended for us to overcome our problems. God overcame our problems on the cross in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus said in John 14, listen, I've got to go because I'm just, I'm man, I'm here, I can only be in one place at one time, but I have to go so that I can send the one who will come after me, the Holy Spirit, and he will come and dwell within every believer, and he will heal, he will bear testimony of who I am. And so for us as believers, when we focus on the problem, when we focus on our failures, when we focus on the bad things that have happened in our past, and we try to overcome those things to please God, God's saying, you're getting in my way. Jesus overcame that on the cross. So get your focus off of your addiction. Get your focus off of your anger. Get your focus off of your depression, your alcoholism, your addiction to cigarettes, whatever it is. Get your focus off of that. God has set you free from that. Take off the old and focus on the new. The first thing that keeps us tied into our self-destructive patterns is that rather than keeping our focus on Christ and understanding with patience that it's going to take a work of God in us to overcome these things, and therefore we keep our focus on Him, you and I try to overcome these things for God. And that's not, that's not how God ever intended it to be. 
Paul says, you have been set free from your past, so take off the old and bask in the new. Actually, the Greek definition of the word clothe means to clothe or to sink in. To sink in. Anybody in here ever drowned before? He's not kidding. He almost did. I did when I was little. When I was, uh, when I was seven, I, you know, we were, we were learning to swim. My brother and I were taking swimming lessons. We were supposed to take, stay on the shallow end. We were taking a break, and uh, there was this lifeguard. I know. I was seven, but anyways, I was an early starter. There was this lifeguard sitting on the deep end, and she was good looking. And so all the little kids, you know, just like uh, if you've ever seen the movie Sandlot, all us little kids were like, oh, that's, ooh, yeah. You know. And so me being who I am, I was like, well, I'll go talk to her. And they're like, no, you won't. And I was like, yes, I will. So I ran over there and started talking to her. Well, the lifeguard was sitting on her little perch by the deep end, and her boyfriend was sitting right there talking to her. And I come up and just start asking her questions, you know, kind of like, whatever, you know, step back, boyfriend. You know, <laughs> I'm seven and I'm proud. Uh, so... <laughs> So I start talking to her, and boyfriend kind of gets annoyed, and so he just pushes me in the pool. He didn't know I didn't know how to swim. And so I'm going down, you know. I don't know how to swim, and I'm like, whoo, and it's just, it is everything they say. You know, the light at the end of the tunnel, really, it was the light of outside the water, and it was getting darker because I was sinking. Uh, But I remember distinctly on my face, I'm sinking, desperation, can't breathe, He's laughing because he thinks that I'm just goofing off, and she is too. And, it, and it, I mean, as things literally start going dark, she, I can see her face still today. She realizes, oh, wait, he's not playing. And so she kicks him and jumps in and pulls me out. And it was, it was, a, a ter- it was the most terrifying, one of the most terrifying things that's ever happened to me in my life. Um, fortunately, I did end up staying in lessons and learning how to swim, uh, and now I love the water. But, but what, what Paul's talking about when he tells the Colossians, listen, sink into the newness of life. He's saying, listen, forget your problems. Problems are going to be there, but Christ overcame on the cross. Recognize that when you got saved, Holy Spirit came and dwelt within you, and he dwells within you, and he made you a new creation. So let that just sink in that meaning lose all control over your past and your issues. Give it up and just die to yourself. Just let it all go and sink into the fact that you are a new creation. Let God's grace sustain you until His holiness changes you. Does that make sense? Second thing that keeps us in our self-destructive patterns is resentment. How many of us walk around today mad at other people for their, self, for their self-destructive patterns? You know, maybe you had a horrible childhood. Maybe you had a father or a mother who was an alcoholic, who beat you, who, who did drugs, who, who was angry all the time, who had self-destructive patterns. Maybe they passed those on to you and you resent them because you're dealing with the same things they dealt with then. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a brother or sister. Maybe it's another church member in here. When we bear resentments, it keeps us focused on our issues, and, it, and, it, and it, it, resentment makes the issue that we are angry at become our issue. In the same verses we read, actually, let, 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 me, let me do this. 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10. Even if I should choose to boast, I will not be a fool. This is Paul who's talking. 
because I would, be, I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I say or do, or do or say, or because of these surpassing great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Boy, let that sink in a little bit. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Whew. That's good stuff. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 says that we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Here's Paul, the guy that wrote most of the New Testament, and admittedly he's saying, God allows me to walk around for years with this demon tormenting me. Now, we don't know what his struggle was. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. People have, have tried to figure that out for ages. And the reality is Paul doesn't tell us because it doesn't matter. Because what Paul's point here is not the fact that he had a self-destructive behavior in his life. What Paul is getting at is he's saying, listen, what God revealed to me is that I didn't need to be perfect. Even though I had this issue that was tormenting me, like I referenced earlier, he said there's these things that I do that I don't want to do, but I keep doing them. Even though I asked God three times to take this away from me, God says, you know what? No. Because it is these very things that causes you, that drives you to need me. So how how freeing is it that the, the, the main author of the New Testament comes back and says, listen... I came to the realization that that in my weakness, that I am a sinner. And even in my sin, he is made strong. Because the fact that I cannot do it on my own drives me to depend on this living God. Which leads us then to, as he finishes out, saying, so, so then if we, are God's, if we are truly God's chosen, beloved people, then he commands us to forgive others. We cannot walk free from self, self-destructive patterns if we are holding on to resentment to other people for the wrongs they've done us. Because just as we need to walk in the grace of God and the newness of life that he has given us, so do they. So if we're not focused on our own self-destructive patterns, we can't be focused on others' self-destructive patterns either. Because both things keep us from the main thing, which is God. Does that make sense? Listen, this, this is probably the harder one for people in the room. Maybe, maybe you're struggling today. And maybe the reason why is because you haven't forgiven. 
God wants to set you free. God wants to take off the old. God wants to tell you this morning that the things those people did to you that have hurt you so much, God is sitting here this morning saying, listen, I want to take the weight of the pain that they caused you off of you. So forgive them not for their sake. Forgive them for me and for you so that I can come clothe you with newness of life. That resentment's going to kill you. Third thing that keeps us in self-destructive patterns this morning, or the third way to get over it, we need to wrap ourselves in gratitude. Look at verses 15, 16, and 17 in chapter 3 in Colossians. In all three, he tells us to be thankful and in everything to give thanks to God. Dr. Han Selye, a world-renowned endocrinologist, wow, I got that one out, says this, gratitude is the most helpful emotion a human can feel. There is scientific evidence that the emotion of gratitude actually increases our immune system along with other physical benefits. Here's Paul, the man who had murdered Christians for the sake of his religion. Comes face to face with Jesus Christ and has a total turnaround. Paul would later on go on to say that of sinners, I am the worst. Goes on, has this complete turnaround. He becomes the missionary. Without Paul, undoubtedly, you and I would not be sitting here today. Paul was the one who took the gospel to the Gentiles, he took it out to the world. And here's this guy who's living for God, lived the rest of his life, a life of sacrifice, a life of celibacy, a life of of traveling incessantly, a life of torture and prison for the sake of the gospel. And in the midst of all that, he's, he's, he's struggling and he says, God, take this thorn from me. And God says, no, three times. And finally, Paul comes to the realization that that the thorn doesn't define him. God doesn't need him to to rid the thorn in order to please God. God, as he says in Colossians 3, you are my chosen child. You are a holy person because I live in you in the Holy Spirit. And so, let the Holy Spirit well up inside of you. Forget your issues. Forgive those who've wronged you and be thankful that my grace is sufficient until I heal completely. See, it's not just enough to forget our issues, to forgive the issues of others who've wronged us. We have to turn from those things and instead of focusing on those things, we need to begin to focus on the one who has indeed set us free. And it starts with gratitude. Jesus, thank you that I don't, I don't have to overcome my issues to please you. Thank you because you bore death on the cross and the blood you shed on the cross covers those issues. Your word says that you cast them as far as the east is from the west, that I am forgiven, that when you look at me because the Holy Spirit inside me, you don't see my issues in the sinner that I am. You see a chosen, holy child. Dearly loved, as Colossians 3 says. We have every reason to be thankful, not resentful. 
or captive to our old, reason, old life. We have every reason to be thankful because we can walk in newness of life. And finally, the way we overcome self-destructive patterns is by soaking in the Word. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-6 says this, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Let me explain what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, the Word of God says that the, the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy our life. Satan wants us dead. He wants us walking around miserable and destroyed. That's not where it ended. Jesus goes on to say, But I have come to give you life and give, it, give you life to the fullest. And Jesus is talking about his death on the cross. And because of his death on the cross, something miraculous happens. Something that we cannot explain. But Jesus' death on the cross comes and covers our iniquity. It covers our sins. It covers our issues. It, covers, it even covers our future sins and issues. And when the Bible says that when we confess, believe in our hearts that Jesus, is Lord, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, something miraculous happens. Paul calls it a mystery in Ephesians and in Romans. He says, the Holy Spirit comes... And He comes and dwells within us. And He begins to sanctify us. From the inside out, God comes and He puts all the holiness of Himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. He puts it within us. That's how Paul can then say, so so when Christ was risen from the grave, we were risen with Him to glory. Because my issues, my sin notwithstanding, God's blood covers me until such a time that the Holy Spirit within me makes my life, my flesh, and all that I am obedient to who He is, not to my sin nature. And until that time, His grace is sufficient for me. Listen, I don't care what you're addicted to, what you've been through in life, what self-destructive pattern you and I have, God is powerful enough And desiring enough to take it from us. And until such a time that he frees us from it completely, he extends his grace and it bathes over us. So when he looks at you, he doesn't look at an addict. He doesn't look at at, at an anorexic or a bulimic. He doesn't look at an angry, bitter person. He looks at a child of God. Someone worthy enough that Christ died to cover your sins. He looks at a new creation. And so the way we soak in the Word is we do this. We take every thought captive. Because right, Paul says we don't battle against flesh and blood in, in, in the passage. That's not the battle we're raging. Listen, your battle of addiction is not the fact that you're an alcoholic or that you're, you're, you're a, a drug addict. The, the battle with addiction is every temptation that comes along. Because the Bible says you're no longer an alcoholic or an addict. You're a child of God. So every time you have that thought, man, just one more. 
Paul says the way we battle that is we take every thought captive. And the way we do that is by comparing it with the Word. We live a life not focused on our issue, but focused on God. So if I'm an alcoholic and I'm sitting down one day in a business meeting with my associates and the business meeting finally ends and the day is over and they're like, let's go out for drinks. And you're like, I know I shouldn't because, I mean, I'm an alcoholic. But I really need this, this deal to go through. So you end up going. And they all order drinks, and you're like, I really shouldn't. But the word says drinking's not a sin. It doesn't say that drinking is a sin. So I'll have one. And up to this point, you're okay. But you get the one. And then you're like, man, I'll, I'll just have another, because they're drinking up. You know, it's, and that's where we need to stop and take that thought captive. Because our focus right now is on the issue. We need to put our focus on Christ. So we take that thought and we say, God, what does your word say for my life in this moment? Your word says that, I, that you've come and that I can take off the old and I can put on the new. So I don't have to be a slave to my desire for that next drink. So Lord, I, I, rather than trying to quit being an alcoholic, I'm just going to say that today, this moment, this thought, I'm going to take it captive, and I'm going to submit it. And, and as he says, I'm going to make it obedient to, to who the Lord is. I've taken off the old. That thought doesn't dictate how I act anymore. Your word dictates how I act. So I put on the new, and I say, God, your word says that you have freed me from this bondage. So I say no to the temptation, and I choose to live in the grace and the freedom that is your word. And so we overcome. And we do that until such a time as he says that he, he, God, makes every act of disobedience. We, 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 we get ready to punish every thought, every act of disobedience, until once your obedience is complete, until I no longer struggle anymore. Maybe you're in the room and you've got this self-destructive pattern and you've been trying for years to overcome this pattern. And, and, and maybe what God's trying to tell you this morning is, is quit trying so hard. You don't need to overcome. I've overcome. All I want you to do is lay down every temptation, every thought, and give it back to me. So if you're angry because your parents abused you or mistreated you in your past, God isn't saying this morning, listen, I want you to quit being an abuse victim. Because you'll be an abuse victim the rest of your life. That will always be a part of who you are. What God is saying is, I want you to quit letting that dictate who you are and how you feel. And I want to take, what's even more better, is I want to take that and I'm going to use it in such a way that you will not only, I will not only overcome it in you and through you, but I will use it to bear blessing in others' lives that have gone through the same thing. And thus God takes something that is evil, that is destroying your life, and he turns it into something that is good, that is a blessing to you because you, you are constantly reminded that his grace was poured out for you because he loved you, and that his grace is so great that it's not only enough for you, he's got more for every other abuse victim out there. Amen. 
And so when they walk in the room and they're sitting in there quietly and they're in the church and everybody's dressed nice and pretty and we're singing songs and the people say up, say, get up here and say, turn and greet your neighbor and you say, greetings in the name of the Lord or whatever you know it is we do. And the reality of it is, is you're here this morning and you're desperate. Your life is falling apart and it's crumbling to pieces. And, and, and instead of saying, greetings in the name of the Lord, good to see you this morning, you can come into this place and you can say, it's not a good day. I'm hurting. I need Jesus today. And the person who's shaking your hand will turn to you and say, hey, I can relate because I need Jesus every day of my life too. Let's, let's join together in our imperfection and let's praise God that his perfection is enough to cover ours, right? Let's let God set us free this morning. It's what gives us the confidence to stand up when we say that Richard or Kiva are sick. It's what gives us the confidence to stand up and unashamedly say, Jesus, you are God. You can heal all things. So I ask you to heal our pastors because our sin doesn't sit there in the back of our minds going, you really can't ask this in confidence. Who are you to really ask for their healing? Well, Paul says, I've taken off the old. I'm not the sinner that that I once was. I'm not the man who struggles with the things of my past. I I am a child of God. I was chosen. He is holy. He is making me holy. And His grace covers me. I am adopted son or daughter of the King. So I can go to my daddy and I can say, Daddy, my brother's sick. Help him. Because that's what children do. This morning... If we're being honest with ourselves, tons of us are hurting. I wonder if we couldn't stop and actually be the church this morning. The worship team is going to come back up and we're going to open the altars. And I'm not going to ask you to come just pray at the altar and ask God, you know, to make things right. I'm going to ask us to be the church. I'm, I'm gonna, the altars are open for you to come, for you to find someone and share with them, listen, I'm hurting, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I've got, I've got this, this stuff in my life, and, and, I, and it's resonating with me. I need to take off the old, and I need to put on the new. And, and I want, here, here's what God, I think God wants for us this morning. God wants for us to quit being a church where we walk in the doors, we all face forward, we greet each other for two minutes, and then we sing songs, hear business, and we go out. I think what God wants is for us to come in the rooms and He wants addicts to meet up with other addicts and to discover freedom. And He wants people who've been abused to meet up with other people who've been abused and say, I'm not alone. God is here for us, and God wants us to be the body, and God wants us to minister to each other. The Word of God in James says, if one of us is sick, ask for the elders to lay hands on him. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Not that forgiveness comes in confession, but healing comes in confession in the sense that we realize we're not alone. Because if God, if God could take away this person's addiction, then he could certainly take away mine. But how will I know if God's taken away his addiction if I don't give him a platform to share that he struggled with that too? How am I going to overcome the fact that I feel like I'm worth nothing unless I realize that there's someone else in the room that thought that they were worthless too 
And they discovered that God loved them so much that he sent his only son to die for them. Not so they could go on being someone that feels worthless, so they could understand the value that he placed in them, that he has sent his Holy Spirit to live within them, that his grace covers them, that they can take off the old, they can take off the worthless feelings, the depression, the anxiety, the resentment from their past. And God wants to put a new cloak on them that says, you are a loved child. You are worth my death. I love you. I have chosen you. I am calling you to freedom this morning. You bow your heads. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would come into this place and I pray that you would move freely this morning. Lord, it's not enough that we talk about breaking the chains in our lives. It's not enough that we talk about breaking the chains of self-destructive patterns if we walk out of this place still in bondage. So Lord, I pray that you'd be true to your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come with forgiveness, with cleansing grace. I pray that you would come and heal us all this morning. Bring freedom, true freedom this morning. Now we invite you to do as you will, Lord Jesus. Come and have your way in this room. I pray for freedom. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I'm just going to invite you that if, if you are at a place where you need the Lord's freedom this morning, then, then ask for it. God doesn't need anything from you to deserve it. God is extending it freely to you. If you need someone to pray with you, just come to the altar and open your hands. They don't need to know what you're going through because God knows. But there are people in this building that want to pray with you. And we're going to trust God that His Holy Spirit will match people up with people that need to be matched up. So that if you come and you extend your hands like this, that someone will come, that God will lay it on someone's heart who's the right person to come and pray over you for freedom this morning.